Welcome back, everyone, to Out of the Main, a Yacht Rock podcast, talking to real live Yacht Rock superstars like we are today. I am Tom, your co-captain, and uh, John, you're here as well. What are you doing here? Uh, permission to come aboard, I guess. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Right. yeah. So we're not going to spend much time gibbering and jabbering because we nope. got a legend uh, on the show today, and I'm so giddy to talk to him and introduce him to our guests. So let's get on with it. What do you say? Do it. All right. Well, please welcome to the show, legend, as I said, the founding member, lead singer, guitarist, composer of the Yacht Rock Supergroup Player. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Peter Beckett. Peter, how are you? I'm good, thank you. This is a huge, huge thrill for us, so we can't wait to to talk to you. Yeah, Tom, about three months ago, Tom went through about a two-week period where he listened to nothing but player every day, all day, I swear. True story. Now he hates it, right? No. I discovered that I loved it even more than I ever thought I could. (laughs) And what was funny is what happened on Facebook, you know, there's a huge Facebook group uh, uh, devoted to Yacht Rock, and somebody mentioned, you know, they had discovered maybe Melanie or some, what we consider a deeper cut. And so I just started rifling off all the tunes I had discovered. People were going, more, 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 give me. <laughs> so uh, I was sort of the, the player gateway drug for a lot of people. But nice. Very good. So, well, you uh, are obviously, you're experiencing the resurgence of the popularity of this thing we call Yacht Rock. You just spent a summer and into the fall touring, I think, with Ambrosia in part. So uh, tell us about your you're back out on the road. COVID's hopefully kind of behind us. And what was the summer like for you? I didn't know what to expect. It's really just been picking up again. It, I mean, you know, there were no, all my gigs got canceled like everybody else. And as things started to get a little lighter, you know, I've been doing a gig here and there. We, we didn't do a ton of gigs, but, you know, we most of my gigs are with Ambrosia, as you said. And we've had really good crowds. And uh, the only difference is we don't have anybody backstage. It's just a little little too dangerous. They don't allow us to have guests backstage. But, you know, the audiences are there. They're sitting next to each other and they're very responsive. And uh, it's, it's been great. So um, I, I had a note that is this the same sort of tour that you did in uh, 2018 it said you did a rock the yacht uh thing with ambrosia john ford coley yeah. robbie dupree stephen bishop kind of the same sort of setup not really but that is coming up there's there's another rock the yacht tour with the same people putting it okay. on as the christopher cross thing the first thing the first one we did which was what 12 years ago or something that was the first yacht rock thing we did really Wow. But uh, these are sporadic gigs. I, I do a lot of gigs with Ambrosia because we work really well together. They do their set. I come out in the middle. I do four or five songs. And then they ended up, I come out, we do an encore. Sometimes there's a third, there's like John Co- Coley, John Fo Coley or uh, Stephen Bishop mm-hmm. or maybe Robbie or somebody like that, you know, and um, very enjoyable. It's a, it's a good concert. It's kind of funny because early on in one of our early episodes, we kind of just joked that uh, Peter Beckett could take David Pack's place in Ambrosia and you wouldn't miss a beat. <laughs> it's kind of funny. No, thank you. <laughs> I know. I know, but, but it's like your voices are similar enough and the, the, the sensibilities of the two groups are similar enough that you could see how that could work. It might have been considered somewhere along the line, but I don't, I don't want it. <laughs> I love the guys. Yeah. Ambrosia are like family to my wife and I. We we, oh, we have cool. a great time together. You know? So next year or this coming year, you tell me you have a lot of plans to continue the tours. Are you going to record again 
uh, either Peter Beckett Solar or Peter Beckett's player. What are your plans? Well, I did an album uh, just before the pandemic hit and, and other things, which we won't go into, legal things. Um, I did an album and actually was about to put it out uh, as a player album. And then we had some legal problems. Um, but I had about 12 things on there that some of them were, were super finished. Some of them I kind of stuck on there, you know, and I don't know whether it was a warning or a, <laughs> but uh, I had to pull it back for legal reasons, but at least half that album is in the can and really good, you know? So I just have to, I just, I moved up to the Northwest. I, I live outside of Seattle now and we moved into this house in during the pandemic and, uh, you can't see, but this is going to be my studio, this room, and I'm mm. just getting it set up now. So once it's up and running, um, I'll finish that album, I, I think, by spring. Wow, that'd be great. Yeah, You had to go and uh, track down the Liverpool weather. You missed that, huh? So you moved up there. <laughs> it looks like Liverpool. Well, I bet. Like, the weather looks like Liverpool. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Damn well- yeah, damp and a little cloudy and glum, but that's what yacht rocks for, right? It's the bright. And yeah, well, my joints, my joints hate me for it. You know? Oh boy. <laughs> well, let's talk about this thing specifically, yacht rock. We are a yacht rock podcast, but even John and I, along the way, have sort of discovered what yacht rock truly is. I mean, when we first heard the term and heard the music, we're like, oh yes, late seventies, yeah, early eighties, yeah, yeah, rock. Um, But you, as we did, you discovered the actual Yacht Rock origin story, and you recently talked to the inventors of the term. So how did you kind of come across your discovery that, wow, this is a thing called Yacht Rock, and I'm a part of it? I can't remember, Chicken or the Egg, if I saw the TV series first. I really can't remember now, but I was at a baseball game with my kid, kids baseball, you know, with my kid, and... um, my phone, my cell phone rings and it's this guy. And he says, my name's Peter Olson and I'm the singer of a band in Atlanta called Yacht Rock Review. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Yacht Rock? When people don't know what Yacht Rock is, they go, what? You know, yeah, they do. Yes, about? they do. It's crazy. And so I said, I don't know what that is. And he said, well, we're a band in Atlanta. We have a huge following. We're a cover band and we're going to, we're starting this whole thing with bringing out the actual guys within our set who sang the songs. You know, we have like four or five guests at a time in a show and um, and they were making enough money by the stage to pay five guests, you know. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know whether, he said, we want you to come down to Atlanta and play at this show. And I didn't know what to expect. I had no idea. Um, and I went down there and Little River Band was on, Ambrosia was on. Uh, I can't remember other bands, and and then Yacht Rock Review came on, and it was um, Gary Wright, uh, me, uh, Walter Egan. Wow. wow! And I think I think that was it on that particular gig. But you know, all the other bands played. Then Yacht Rock Review came out, and I I walked out, and I couldn't believe what it. There's like thousands of people, and. Most of them have captain's hats on, and you know, some of them even have the white shirts with the epaulets and this whole thing. Yeah, and and they're all totally drunk, and like you couldn't go wrong. You start singing the chorus, and that they're all—it was like Oktoberfest, you know. They're all <laughs> hey ho, swigging their booze oh, and, yeah. and singing that, and it, and it was crazy. 
at the end of the, the gig, I, I'm like, this is more than just a gig. This is like a movement going on here. Oh, yeah. And and that's that's when I first got it, you know? I have never seen a, um, sort of a micro niche that has such a passionate yeah. audience. Because it's it's, it is a small niche, but the people yeah. that are into it, are it's, it's biblical practically yeah. to them. Well, you know, there's a reason for that. I mean, I don't want to get off track here, but... Go ahead. This is the joint at work. You know, I've always been a writer and, you know, this was the place where the machines took took over after yes. after the Yacht Rock thing. Yep. You know, everybody can, could, in those days could pick up a guitar or a piano, Crosby, Stills and Nash, harmonies, you know, and everybody did it and everybody could sing and play. Then the drum machines came in and the synthesizers, you know, and uh, I, I was guilty. I, I had a big film thing going on at the time and... I got all the machines, you know, and <laughs> I wasn't playing live for like 15 years. And, and I'd get up in the morning, have a coffee, turn the drum machine on. Mm-hmm. Somebody <laughs> send me a tape. I'd write a song, send it in. You know, it either got in the movie or it didn't. Most of them did. And uh, I was guilty of, of that machine thing. But but Yacht Rock is actually right. It's the music of the 70s. You know, some say into the 80s, but whatever. Yeah. It's right before the machines came in. The rise of the machines. It's the peak right before that happened. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I've used that exact expression before. Uh, the Peter. rise of the machines? Yes. Yeah, he has. Because you're right. Well, that was my Terminator movie. I had three songs in that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. You did. That's right. But you're right. I think it was, We all, John and I like to talk about it as the um, sort of the confluence of the ultimate in music production as an art, not maybe necessarily technologically, but as an art mixed yes. with the, the pinnacle of the live band and the songwriting, it all sort of came to a crescendo in this time period. And then, as you say, it started to splinter off in different ways. Maybe the machines rose. Or yeah. by the 90s, we're talking about how dirty and ugly we can make things sound. And it's yeah, just, right. you can't get back to that. And I think that's why people like us, and even younger people, are like, let's turn back the clock and let's reexamine some of this stuff. Clean and clever. You know, great lyrics, great three-part harmonies in the choruses. It's classic music that's why it's so popular well let's go back to that time period then if you don't mind tell us um i've read the story it's really interesting how you got from liverpool uh because we we detected the accent it got to la (laughs) and became part of the i don't know what you mean (laughs) i don't have a clue it was a chance encounter right in la when you met your uh future partner in crime well yeah I, i was brought over here um i was in london i lived in london for like 15 years and i Worked with a guy called Steve Kipner, who's, you know, gone on to write tons of hits. Yeah. Uh, Hard Habit to Break for Chicago, Let's Get Physical, Genie in a Bottle for, for, you know, he's had a lot of hits. And um, then it was just he and me in in London writing songs, and we got this little record deal and everything. And then he got this call to come to L.A. and join this, like, so-called supergroup of writers. And um, they were a band called Friends. And they had an Australian, an American, and an English guy, I think. I don't remember what the original band was. Um, And he left. And I was in my band Paladin, which was like a prog rock band in London. And then that band split up. And I was kind of flailing. I, I, you know, I was doing sessions here and there. and, And then I got this call from Kipner from L.A. And he said, Michael Lloyd the producer, Michael Lloyd, uh, was one of the members of this band. And he said, he's left. Do you want to come over and be be his replacement? And um, 
I said, I would like that very much. And so Kipner came over to London. He took me into this office and it was Gem Toby Management. They had the new Seekers and a bunch of other acts. And I had to sit in this office with an acoustic guitar, big spotlight on me, you know, and all yeah. these guys mm-hmm. sitting in the back. And they said, show us what you can do. And I had a couple of, you know, acoustic things I could play. And I played them and they said, you're flying out to L.A. in two days. <laughs> like that, you know. And so I flew out to L.A. and joined this band, which became Sky Band, which do not look for the album cover because I'm <laughs> so embarrassed. And you know why. And, uh, you know, it was very strange. But, but uh, then that fell through. We did one tour and it was in England, of all places, with the Alex Harvey Band. Um, who were like, you know, 99% male audiences. We'd get bottles thrown at us and everything. It was crazy because <laughs> we had little LA guys with suntans, you know, yeah. by that stage of the game. Um, so that all fell through and I was out of work yet again. And my wife left me yet again. <laughs> and so I was like in LA, I didn't have a green card, you know, and I didn't know what to do with myself. And um, I went to this party. A publicist friend said, you know, come to this party. It's a big party in the Hollywood Hills. He forgot to tell me everybody will be wearing white. And so I just went like in a, you know, checkered shirt and jeans and boots and went into the party and Robin Williams was there, a lot of celebrities, you know, and uh, it's all outside around the pool, typical LA. And I saw this other guy across the pool, you know, with longer checkered shirt, and I said, oh, this guy's like me. So I kind of made a beeline for him. We started talking and uh, his name was J.C. Crowley and he was from Texas. Mm. And I found that very interesting. He was a country singer, you know, and I was from Liverpool. So he's looking at me. Oh, my God, you know, yeah. Beatles. And we said, we had a long conversation, had a few drinks. And we said, let's get together, you know, in a few days, write some songs, see what we got, try it on. And we did. And we got a couple of good things out of it. And, you know, the story went on from there. We hawked our songs around for a while, you know, until that fateful day when we actually got together and wrote Baby Come Back. But that's that's the origin of playing. Wow. So, yeah, you did. You, you had a few good things happening. I mean, that first album, we got Baby Come Back, what, international number one. And then this time a minute for love, would that do reach number 10? I know U.S. I, I don't know yeah. all the international. I have some notes yeah. in front of me. But you then toured... You did tours with uh, Boz Skaggs and Silk Degrees Tour, Eric, uh, Eric Clapton's Slowhand Tour with Heart, Kenny Loggins' Footloose Tour. It's like, yeah. I mean, now all of a sudden, it's like full-on big time on steroids. And hot, and it happened fast, let yeah. me tell you. And, and so then, I, you know, all I can imagine is that the next expectation is, well, okay, do it again. You know, when they're they're expecting that next hit, what kind of like pressure was there either internally from you to sort of outdo or match what you did before, or even from the record label saying, give us another hit, give us another hit. What was it like to then follow that? Remember up? that? Cause I, I want to go there, but, but let, let me just explain to you okay. what happened with mm-hmm. the Buzz Skaggs thing. We were practicing. We, we'd never played anywhere. You know, we'd never been a real band. We didn't have a name even at the time. And we were mm-hmm. practicing in this place called rats in studio city, a dirty little rehearsal place. Earth Supply were next door and they never had a hit, you know. And <laughs> uh, and we put out Baby Come Back by this stage. It was a single and it had come out. And, 
you know, we didn't expect a thing. We're just practicing to maybe get a gig or two. And our manager comes running into the room and he says, your single is number 80 on Billboard. And that was bigger to us than when it hit number one. Wow. <laughs> number 80. We were actually on the charts. Oh, the chart. like, oh yeah. my God. You know, we went out and, oh, it was just crazy. Crazy exciting. And then it did go on, you know, and, and as the months went by, it was played. Every, you couldn't, every radio station in the car, it was on it, you know. Baby, come back. So it be when it became number one, we were actually on tour. They, they knew it was going to happen, so they put us on tour with Boss Gags. It was actually originally Gino Vanelli. We did a handful of gigs, mm-hmm. and then they pulled us off as the record started climbing, and they stuck us on with Boss Gags on the Silk Degrees. This is 30,000-seat arenas, the arena days, you know? Yeah. And um, it was pretty crazy. We were still green when we did those first Boss Gags gigs. We're just, you know, we, we were not a, uh, I mean, I'd done my dues, you know, in, in England. <laughs> I was always a Yeah, band. but the musicianship that Boz is carrying with him on that tour. You, you got guys it. Had to be like, you Whoa. got it. And, and that's what it was. And of yeah. course, we, we walked in and they were sound checking and we're like, oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. You got to do this, you know. Wow. But what, how it went is, is like, uh, as time went by, we got better after a few gigs, obviously, yeah. like you do, and you get used to the crowd and the big crowd. And and as we were on that tour, the, the record kept climbing and climbing. And where we were just getting, you know, <laughs> it became number one on that tour. And it was like people were standing up, you know, and going crazy. So that was a great tour for us. And that's that's when everything changed. And so you asked me how how to go beyond that and... Well, yeah, I mean, because when I think of when I think of Baby Come Back, you know, I I I write my own music and I produce other artists and all that stuff. And people get sick. Tom, I've produced his stuff before, and they always hear me say they're tired of me saying, "Well, where's the hook? What's the hook? How's the?" And Baby Come Back is the quintessential big monster harmony hook of the of that era. And I could see why that you that's one of those songs you hear instantly and you go, "Oh, that's going to be a number one." But then what do you do next? That's Well, the- first of all, there's a formula that I try to adhere to even now. And okay. I learned it from Dennis Lambert, who was our Ooh. producer yeah. and who produced Baby Come Back and, and a million other things. He had a, you know, a ton, Rhinestone Cowboy, The Four Tops, Temptations, yeah. load of stuff. And he was my mentor for a long time. And um, he, he had this formula, you know, intro, first verse. B section, chorus, second verse, chorus, solo, chorus out. And I still do that now. It's like every sign, right? It's a formula and it's tight and it works. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go outside of that box, but uh, I, I haven't really. <laughs> yeah, but your chorus can still be ho-hum and, and the formula doesn't work, but you just write these amazing. Well, I don't, I don't spend time on it. I, if, if a thing bores me, if I'm writing something, there's a moment when you go to yourself, this is good or I'm right. wasting my time. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And at this, you know, and long ago, I just, if, if I'm getting bored with myself, I just go, 
move on to the next. You know, <laughs> George Harrison once said it: if you can't finish a song in twenty-four hours, yeah, or even get close to it, it's not worth keeping. Right, I agree. Yeah, I get that fully. Because you know, at the end of the first day, you go, Ooh, "That's a good idea." Or, yeah, because at that point, you're just patching stuff together in order to finish it. It's not, yeah, exactly. Let's talk a little bit about one of that slice of the formula that going back to what we said about why this music appeals to people who are rediscovering it, like our age, or yep. people who are discovering it for the first time, all those other reasons. One thing we neglected to mention, uh, which I think is so important, is the musicianship, which I think, you know, I'm old enough now to see kind of music follow various trends and the 80s was a very histrionic era. I talked about the grunge era of the 90s. Um, 2000s and 2010s to me feels like the musicianship is subdued and sort of in the background. But when you discover Yacht Rock, you're like, whoa, like listen to these drummers and listen to these guitar players. So one of the discoveries of Yacht Rock just in general is that, holy crap, there were some great musicians. Steve Lukather's. Let's just talk about guitarists. Jay Graydon's of the world, right? Uh, yeah. Larry Carlton. Yeah. Right. But within that people within that audience of people who recognize now that the guitarists of this era were unbelievable there's still a lack of appreciation for peter beckett's guitar work <laughs> and it That's is funny. amazing <laughs> um, i want to i got to tell you something I, i'm an honest guy i got to tell you i am not a great guitarist but i can sell it you know and that that solo on Baby Come Back, it's a good solo. But, it is. You know, but it was probably one of the very first. I was not even a lead guitarist. I, they just said, I was a rhythm guitarist that sang, and they said, well, you sound a little better than JC, so you play lead. You So did you do the leads that, for example, uh, the song I keep bringing up on this podcast, the outro lead to It's For You? Is it's that for you? you. Yep. Uh, uh, no, that was actually not me. That That's, uh, as time went by, second album, which, you know, we should talk about the Clapton thing. Um, I found on, on all those first tours during, you know, the big hit days and everything, I, I couldn't be paying attention to my playing and trying to project and yeah. sing the songs, yeah. you know, because I'm singing like everything right. all the time, you know, and then trying to stop and play fills and all that stuff. And so second round of player, I, we started integrating a guitar. All right, well, then before we get to second album, I have a, a guitar question about the first album. If you don't want to give away your secrets, you don't have to. Oh, I want to. But, I don't care. <laughs> I, don't but care. I, I, I want to know... Um, I, I have some ideas on how you got the that little lead sound. Tom calls it a sitar-ish sounding thing on Baby Come Back. I, I'm guessing it's a, either a combination of like a rotary speaker or a vibrato pedal. I hear some layers. What's the trick on that one? I'm not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I expected you to say. No, I'll tell you, um, it, um, it was this little black box with three buttons on it, blue, yellow and red, and it was called a maestro phaser. Oh. 
And that's it. And I press two of the pedals and that's the sound. still get them if they work but i've replaced it with several other pedals that work you know when i play okay now, i get the same sound phaser chorus together you know and yeah uh, that's okay. basically what it is i'm gonna look that one up the, the other question i have is i find that you have a uh your the all the player stuff particularly the more pop sensibility stuff the the harmonies on the choruses the backups and all that stuff have such a big, unique sound that is, you know, very identifiable as player. It's a, sort of a two-part question is, do you did you do anything special in order, did you have like a, a system or a way that you got that sound? Was it a natural blend of your voices or like we've talked about, like Toto was infamous for doing their parts and tripling every part and then mixing it down to a two-track and flying it in. Did you... What kind of uh, process did you Pretty have? Pretty natural, because it was before all the clever days, you know, and uh, Dennis Sambut was a very clean, not a lot of reverb on it, anything, you know, just very clean. That's why Baby Come Back stands the test of time. It's yeah. not smothered in reverb or effects or anything. It's, drums are real clean. Mm-hmm. Everything's real clean. Tiny little bit of reverb on the vocals. We had a great blend. Yeah. The three of us, you know, it just came naturally. And of course, as days went by, when I did other things, we would double the choruses and stuff like that, you know. Because then there was the the way that it's arranged then on uh, This Time I'm In It For Love, where the first half of the chorus, you guys sing in kind of a nice harmony. And then the second half, you got these like these male falsettos that are sort of cascading down from above. I just that that is such an amazing arrangement. Well, I'm the I'm the only falsetto singer. So that's you, huh? All right. Wow. That's I'm the guy who goes nothing left for me. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, which you do again in um, uh, giving it all. Isn't there a, yeah. like a similar breakdown with some falsetto? Nobody's there? heard of giving it all. What? Are you kidding? Nobody's yeah, heard it. The Yacht Rockers know it. I tell you, they do. My 14-year-old my daughter knows every word because I play it constantly. So. <laughs> well, you know, the two guys that, that invented Yacht Rock that did the TV series, I did an interview with a while a little while ago, and they actually have that as the other song on yeah. their chart, you know, because yeah. you guys know, I'm sure. But, it's super yachty, as we say. Yeah, yachty. super yachty. Yachty. <laughs> yeah. Well, what more question about um, the musicianship? Because one of the yachty markers is having, you know, you got a rock tune that's got maybe a little bit of R&B in it, and then it features a sax solo, which you did from time to time. Was that, you know, in the video, I think for uh, maybe, I can't remember which song it was, but it shows the keyboard player picking up the sax and playing. How did you really do that? Was it really him or somebody else? I think that was somebody else, but after him, we got another guy called Gabe Katona who actually played sax, keyboard player that played sax, which is a real find, you know. He was yeah. great. But uh, no, that that first guy, um, 
let's talk about something else. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he sued us. <laughs> but there was a conscious effort. I mean, at the time, it feels like sax was like, you got to work a sax in sax the song somehow. Late 70s, yeah. Yep. But I love that. I know what you're talking about. I love that solo. It's on Melanie, too, by the way. Yes, Isn't Melanie. It? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. This may be completely off the map, but you were talking about reverb and all of that. And um, it, it's kind of funny because Tom and I, have, since we started this podcast, I find myself getting caught up into listening to stuff from the perspective of, is it Yacht Rock or is it not? And if it's not Yachty, I'm like, oh, skip, skip, skip. I'm like, what am I doing here? And I <laughs> actually put on Spies of Life today. And when it hits you at first, it's a lot of reverb. It's a lot of synths and all that stuff. But the more as I live through it, I keep... I, I use on Spotify, I use the little heart, uh, you know, like thing to sort of remind me of songs to go back. And I was watching uh, that album go by to him like, uh, I think seven of the tunes I have marked. That is such a good record. But sonically, it's a little different because of the way that they were doing things in the 80s. Well, yeah, it was changing. Styles were changing. And, and truthfully, you know, my favorite album of mine is my solo album, the Beckett album. Mm. There's some great songs on there. Yes. For me, it's a little hard to listen to because it was 1991, I think. Yeah. And everything was so swamped in reverb in those days. And, you know, it was produced that way. So for me, it's just, you know, you can't take it off once you put it on. You know? Yeah, right. And, and, and it's swamped it. And I'm a little sad about it because there's some great songs on that album. It's actually been re-released a couple of times. Who's doing the lead guitar work on that, Peter? Because that's another example. That's like, me and Michael Thompson. So I think your humility is a little part. maybe uh, uh, misplaced. Misplaced because oh, I can <laughs> I can play. I'm just as old. most people are better than me. I bet well, Clapton says that too. Clapton says, "Well, you know, there's people better than me." He does. Yeah. Right. There, there's actually better podcasters out there than John. But, no, there isn't. Oh, ah. um, so real quick on Spies of Life by Survival, another one where the outro oh, yeah. solo is yeah. just a boy. Rip. You're digging. You are digging deep. That, that's there. what that's, we do. I've forgotten I even wrote it. We, we oh, get way past the hits on this show. Way but past. I was the same way, John. Spies of Life was not on my radar because the typical quote unquote yacht rock hits belong, you know, come from other albums. But you listen to that one just through the prism of I want to discover a new sort of era appropriate music oh and that is such a good record it is we love it i think if looks could kill is was the yeah. single on that if i'm if i'm yep. not wrong mm -hmm. we did solid gold and all those tv shows you know for that album some things are better left unsaid was another yeah, oh, yeah. great Wrote tune. with dennis lambert Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold your seahorses right there. <laughs> We're dropping anchor. Yes, we are dropping anchor right here, but not for long, for uh, no. a week sabbatical, sabbatical, that is. Um, as usual, we... Uh, you know, when we're talking to these superstars of Yacht Rock, we start talking on and on and on. And before you know it, we had an hour-long conversation with Peter. Yeah. So you know what that means. We've got to break it up into two episodes. Well, we aren't going to cut him off, that's for sure. If he's got the goods, we're going to let it go. Well, and he does end up having the goods. Remember, we almost ended uh, part two, which will be next week. And then there was one more he's like, story. You, yeah, don't you want to ask me about fill in the blank? Dot, and dot, Michael, dot. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he had one more left in the uh, in the proverbial tank. Yeah. So. Well, let's do a lightning round then to wrap this episode up. And then we do have just a couple other teases for what's ahead in next week's episode. Sounds good. All right. Well, so we've got the lightning round. Does it float your boat? 
I got one to kick it off, if you don't mind. Very good. We talked in that episode about um, this time I'm in it for love. Right. Right. It's just a beautiful, brilliant song. Got to number 10. Right. So it was not a deep cut. It was pretty. It was, pretty big yeah, hit, it right? was a big follow up single for sure. Very successful. But yet never rated by the Yacht Rock dudes. Uh, yeah, that's true. So let's give it a go. We're not going to rate it, but for you personally, does that song float your boat in a yachty sort of way? You'd think I would have uh, given that some thought at some point because we've been listening to so much player lately. Yeah. Um, I, I would, I guess, without thinking through the mechanics of everything, I, my initial response is no. Beautiful soft rock tune. Um, doesn't strike me as yachty. I would have to go mm. back and say, maybe can I dig some uh, yachtiness out of it? But I would say no, it, it doesn't. What about you? I would guess that the fellas would have raked it below 50, but for me, right. just on feels alone, I'm just saying, oh, yeah, it's so on my boat. It's uh, probably at the head of the bow right next to, uh, right between giving it all and baby come back. And uh, Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, jeez, that that uh, conjured an image. Yeah. Woo. I'm king of the world. <laughs> um, all right. So, yes, for me. But, again, not anything intellectually just because I love the song so much. And it's, you know, right in that same – off the same album. So, offhand, do you right. know what um, Baby Come Back was rated? Uh, yes, it was lower than Given and All. So, uh, composite uh, – do I have the composite? Well, let's see. I can give you the score. 65, 59, 62, 48. So, okay. probably low 60s there. Right. And then uh, – oh, I, there it is. 58.5. And give it an all is 66.25. And I would say this time a minute for love definitely is below those two. So whether it's below 50, I would guess probably put it below 50. And then forever they ranked too. They rated that a 34 composite. Oh. So that was off the, uh, what was the album in 1978 was the Danger, Danger Zone, Zone. Correct. Yep. Yep. So. Okay. Hmm. All right. So there's your uh, player Yatsky overview for the day. Very good. Um, Yep. What do you got for Does It Float Your Boat? Well, this this particular one is not necessarily connected to Peter Beckett, but uh, last week, week before, um, listener Derek posted something in the uh, Yacht Rock group that, that sounded pretty interesting to me, and he talked about a group called Stylus. And I don't hmm. know if you're familiar with Stylus. Uh, they're an Australian act, but they're the first Australian act to be signed to Motown Records. Hmm. Again, I don't know. It doesn't connect to the yacht or anything like that. But the way that it connects, this is 1975, um, probably more soulful than it belongs on the boat. But because of the fact they're doing a cover of Summer Breeze, I thought that might be worth something listening. So this is Stylus doing Summer Breeze. Is filthy as they say. Uh, it is. But is he yachty? 
Oh my gosh! Like I almost don't even care anymore. I know it's, it it's just not, so good. It's not at so all. Is this, but, are you asking me? Does it float my boat? Uh, yeah, but not not from a you know a stimulating sense. More of an intellectual sense. I'll say no to that, but it lights my fire. I bet. And now we're getting back into yachtiness. I'll bet. Yeah. Keeping the fire. Ooh, Pretty nice. cool. Pretty cool pick. Well done. Yep. Yep. Cool. Well, what do you got for our buried treasure? Buried treasure is actually one that um, Peter mentioned during the uh, first part of our interview. And we kind of ended that first section talking about the Spies of Life album and mm-hmm. 1980. This one was written by uh, Peter and uh, producer Dennis Lambert, who uh, you know was with him for quite a while, also played keys on this. But um, I'm as my buried treasure, I'm going to go with what uh, he recommended. Some things are better left unsaid. When there's nothing coming in and it's all going out, love has got to find a way to get better. When you never seem to win, got to take another route. Gotta find a way to get that out. Mm. It's a good one. Yep. I think you stole mine for next week. Good. But, uh, anyways. You got time. Uh, uh, yeah, I got a whole week, apparently. Well, that's a very good one. I am going to go back to um, Player's first album. Okay. So... You know how you uh, you mentioned I went into like a two week period where all I did was explore the player catalog up and down, up and yeah, down. Yeah, player coma. Oh, yeah, so good. And then uh, that kind of led to this like Facebook post where everyone's asking for yeah. player deep cuts, mostly because I kept offering them. Did you say first one is free? <laughs> no, that would have been good though. Uh, I'm going to give you one of the ones that came okay. to mind, and we haven't really talked a lot about it on this show yet. So I think it is a buried treasure. So off that first record, yeah, it's a tune called Melanie, and it's so good. Hit it. it makes me wonder, should I show my love holding under? I might score my chance of making her love me. Melanie. Yes, 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 yes. The that's that's the one we we actually talked about the sax work with him at one point. Yes. Man. Yep. Yes. He's got a little, like, uh, every once in a while, they're putting in some alternate percussion into their tunes that, I don't know if it's a conga or bongos or something, they're always panned way to the right, and they're just, they add a little yachtiness. It's very nice. Yeah, that was a Ted Templeman trick. Not that he had anything to do with them, but when we did mm-hmm. the Ted thing, he said, oh, percussion in everything, because it makes yeah. it, it gives it swing. Yep. It does, yeah. Cool. All right, that was uh, my buried treasure, which I think leads me to then kick off our off the map. It does, yep. So one of, uh, you know, we talked about doing a player focus episode at one point. Remember? Yeah. And this kind of became that. This became that, which was cool because it finally made me do my complete research on everything Peter Beckett and player um, because we knew we were speaking with him. But one of the interesting discoveries was just what a prolific songwriter he was outside of the player and his own personal. But, you know, and he got to the point where he's not even doing it on spec anymore. It's like, we want you to write a song and here it is. And presumably they sent him a check. Well, so if you, uh, you look at Peter Beckett on Spotify, his solo career, his most spun song is actually a tune from the Frankie and June soundtrack from 1991. I don't know how yachty it is. It's very like, even though it's from 91, it released, this release was, I don't remember when the movie came out. It feels like 80s kind of power ballad. It's a really good tune though. And that's called Until You Let Go, a song he did with, do you know uh, Jeanette Klinger? I don't. I do not know the name. Well, real quick factoid on her before you play the tune 
is she played with and toured with Kim Carnes, Sheena Easton, Julie Brown, Donovan, and Yanni. Probably as a backup so, singer, maybe then. Yep. 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 And so uh, here's their tune from the Frankie and June soundtrack. Let it out. Yeah, you did steal mine. You stole mine. But I, I've got I've got a backup. But I noticed that when I was looking at that soundtrack as well, what a fool believes is on that soundtrack. So there's a yacht connection. Yes. Well, you stole my interesting factor. Okay. But, okay. So now we're, we're even. even. I could not find credits on that song because I want to know who played the guitar solo on that. If anybody knows, like they have the soundtrack and it says so inside, let us know. Because I swear it's either Graydon or Lukather. It's a great solo. It sure feels like it, right? It does. Yeah. And so we notice that wherever uh, Peter Beckett goes, so goes awesome guitar work, some of which he's willing to claim and others apparently he's not, but that was great work in there. But that does not sound like his style at all. That's definitely no. a, a session, you know, guy. Uh, Hit us up on Facebook. Let us know. Yep. Yep. Well, uh, I, I have a off the map that I can uh, hit, but it's going to serve as a tease oh. to our second half. Now, the second half of this interview picks up kind of where we left off at the end of the player chatter. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think many people knew that uh, he spent a six-year part of his career as a member of Little River Band? I'm guessing not because I had no idea. I did not until recently either. It, yeah. You know, vocally, and it seems to make perfect sense, doesn't it? Yep, it does. I would have guessed he would have maybe been a permanent member of Ambrosia, maybe. Yeah. Because we, we've talked about those two, but yeah. Little River Band makes perfect sense, Yeah, we too. joked about that. He said, no, thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, so, uh, he did one album with them. Mo- much of the that six-year period was touring and things like that, and they would do some of the player stuff as well. But he did one album with them, and it's a really good album. Late, uh, late 80s sound. Is, it came out in 1990. It's called Get Lucky. Very much does not sound like Yacht Rock from a production standpoint. But uh, the the song that I really love off that, that he wrote, and again, he wrote this one also with Dennis Lambert. So he's still connected with Dennis Hmm. Lambert, even during the Little River Band years. And this is called Every Time I Turn Around. Yeah, off the map from a sonic standpoint, sounds like it's, again, late 80s, even though it came from, what, early 90s? 1990, yep. Yeah, the tune itself is really good. Uh, You can hear Peter in there. You you can hear it in the writing for sure. For the writing for sure, yeah, absolutely. That's a good tune, though. Interesting. Well, that's a sound uh, I was not familiar with from uh, Little River Band, so I got to check that record out. Yeah, it's a really good record, actually. Well, that's one of the teases for next week. We're going to explore the LRB years with Peter. When we come back and uh, reach our dramatic conclusion, uh, there's another tease too, though, and you kind of already served it up a little bit about how he kind of got into this whole crazy music career. And it all comes back to an olfactory uh, offense. <laughs> remember? <laughs> I do remember that. But don't don't forget though. Don't forget though. He also we have some unreleased Peter Beckett music we're going to play too. 
Oh, yeah. Don't forget that. And it includes the words baby, uh-huh. come, Ooh. and back. Yowza. But it's not what you think. No. So, we're gonna, yeah, this might be the world premiere, isn't it? I think it is. It's a, it's a finished tune, though. It so, is. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, that's exciting. Um, you know what else would be exciting? If what? Well, if people come back and say, okay, did they put Peter on the spot and ask him to sign off mm. the way that we normally do? Has right. he listened to the podcast? Ooh. Would he know how to even end the podcast? You mean like sing Ahoy Polloi? 